0: Is dead. Yeah.
1: Main Man. Main Man. Main Man. Main Man. Right. Main Man. An interesting story, a very entertaining story.
0: Hello, and welcome to episode eight in our series that explores the history of Main Man, the groundbreaking management rights company that reshaped the rock and roll landscape in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. There's always something happening.
1: You never had boring moments. We were crazy. We did all those things with makeup, with our clothes, with our outrageousness, with our not caring about what society thought and everything. We did all that. Then we went away, and then the next thing we knew, we were hired to work for ourselves, because then they showed up looking like us.
0: Main Man was formed by entrepreneur and adversario Tony DeFreeze who worked with a larger-than-life cast of acts that included Amanda Lear, Dana Gillespie, David Bowie, Lou Reed, Mick Ronson, John Mellencamp, Iggy Pop and Mott the Hoople. When David's full-on with you, it's 110%. You know, he takes, but he gives. He came down, we were in a little place in the King's Road and he was thinking he was going to have to give us more songs, so then we played him the songs we had and he said, no, this is fine, we'll go with us." When it started, I had no clue. I mean, they came in and they did the Dude's album because they'd learned off Visconti, so we kind of started learning off them, you know. In today's episode, DeFreeze explains guitarist Mick Ronson's early performances with David and the impact that Mick's music had, especially on the tracks that David was writing and recording for what would become the album The Man Who Sold the World. In 1970,
1: before I met David, some very interesting events happened that later got encapsulated into where we the Beeb. So the BBC, affectionately known as the Beeb in the UK, was the only place where you could actually get live music recorded and played because they were the only broadcaster at that point in time. So they had many different programmes with different presenters. And in 1970, early on, on the 5th of February. There's a broadcast, and this is all on a very nice package called Bowie at the Beeb that was put out many years ago. David and I were still working together. And this is remarkable for many reasons. On the 5th of February, Mick Ronson is at the BBC with Tony Visconti, who's playing bass, and of course was David's record producer at the time, with John Cambridge, who's playing drums, and New Bronson from an earlier band that they'd been in together in Hull, and David. Now, how did Bronson get to the BBC? Well, this is the very strange and marvellous thing. Mick comes up to London to meet David. He goes to Trident Studios, where David's busy involved in recording the album that becomes Man Who Sold the World, and Visconti is there playing bass and or engineering and producing, and John Cambridge is there playing drums. But Ronson's never heard any of the songs they're working on before, and he's probably never heard any Bowie songs before, but he has this particular skill which not many people have, and. In Ronson's case, it was really remarkable. He's able to listen to a song that he's never heard before and immediately start improvising, adding, playing, and enhancing that music. And David hasn't met that many people who can do this before either. So this is quite a remarkable thing. So they start working through the songs in the studio. And then Bowie says to Mick, I've got to go and do something at the BBC. Will you come along? And Mick says, okay. And off they go. And they start doing this BBC show, which was something called The Sunday Show. And it had a host called John Peel. And they were introduced as David Bowie and the Tony Visconti trio, also known as The Hype. And this is the 5th of February, 1970. The show was broadcast on the 8th of February. And there is Mick watching David, who's playing an acoustic, Mick's playing electric, and playing along and improvising songs he's never heard before. And Ronson did this through the rest of that year and on for the next two or three years in working with David and making, of course, these astonishing albums, Man Who Sold the World and then Hunky Dory and Ziggy and so on. In this particular instance, one of the songs they're working on is called Black Country Rock. And Visconti has said, and I know, that in many ways Black Country Rock is actually a Ronson composition. Ronson made all of the arrangements for and created new material for the song as it was being recorded. And he did similar things with much of the Man Who Sold the World tracks. All the tracks on that album really were largely influenced by Mick. And again, this particular capability of being able to take what David was doing, whether it was on guitar or keyboard, and turn it into something much larger, much Deeper, much denser, is what lent an enormous amount of quality and depth to those recordings. And it's very evident when you listen to mixed later work that was happening. In 1975, I was on tour with Dylan on the Rolling Thunder Review. And recently, parts of that have come into the mainstream on Netflix or similar programs where there's now a feature movie that was made and features footage and in many cases you see there are up to 16 people on stage and these include Bobby's guests. Bobby's idea of the Rolling Thunder Review was to have surprise guests at every show and the surprise guests might have been Joan Byers, they might have been Judy Collins, they might have been Joni Mitchell. They were, actually, all of those on different nights, and sometimes on the same night, sometimes you'd have Joni and Joan on stage at the same time. Everybody on that stage, at every show, and I was at many of their shows, obviously, is looking at Bobby to see what's he going to play next, because it's quite possible that Dylan will start playing one more cup of coffee that nobody's ever heard before. It's a new song. He's just written it and he wants to play it. So he starts playing it and everybody has to scramble to catch up. And you can see that Bobby's done this. I mean, I've been watching him since 1963 and I've worked with him from time to time. He's always done this. He has the ability to simply make up a song on stage, form it. And expects people to keep up, and not everybody can. And in this case, Ronson, once again, does this remarkable trick of playing something he's never heard before and making it better, enhancing it. And on that same stage, you had people like Roger McGuinn, who was previously the Birds, and you had T-Bone Burnett, who's since become a very successful movie. Music producer, but was part of the band. Many other folk, all looking at what is Bobby going to do next. So now, moving on from there, let's look at what else Mick Ronson and David did in 1970 for the Beeb. Well, here you have an interesting question because the band, the hype which was Visconti's attempt to become part of the performing side of the music industry, not just engineering and producing, which is where he began. In fact, it's interesting to just look back a bit at at Tony and see, how did he get into this situation of producing Bowie and Mark Bolan and a marvellous Mary Hopkin, who he married as well, she was his wife for some time so in 1969 the year before I met David I was working with a girl called Marsha Hunt and Visconti made a marvellous recording with her called Walk on Gilded Splinters which is an old old voodoo spiritual song which was adapted and rewritten by Dr. John Mac Reckenbach. that's a fabulous song and Visconti met Marsha because she was in hair. Patrick Litchfield, who was one of my photographers in 68, I think, or 69, took a picture of Marsha entirely nude on the cover of Vogue in 1969 while she was also the poster girl, literally the poster girl for hair. So Visconti had some history, but... His original entry into the business was slightly different. He was American, and he came over to England to work with another successful producer who was actually employed by Essex Music, which coincidentally were David's publishing company at the time. And the publisher's practice was to get their songwriters to write songs and record them in a studio so that they would have a demo that they could then send out to all kinds of agents and hope to get recorded by major existing performers. So as a songwriter your chances of becoming a performer were quite slim and it might take you a very long time because the publisher wasn't really interested in getting your songs out for you as a performer but they were much more interested in for example saying okay here's carol king and jerry goffin's marvelous song called you make me feel like a natural woman and carol king wrote the song with jerry goffin but she wrote the song for aretha franklin because cbs or atlantic probably atlantic at that point wanted a song for aretha and here it came and it was a marvelous song and she did it marvelously well It took years for Carol to get to the point of making her own album of her own songs, which of course was Tapestry, which was a marvellous album. But she then did become a star in her own right. But songwriters often didn't get that opportunity. So this is how Visconti met David originally. It's also how he learned the art of producing. But he still had this idea that perhaps he could also be a successful band member, leader, producer, and performer. And that didn't happen. Hype didn't really work out. But at any rate, going back to the Beeb, in that same year, 1970, another show was performed and ended up on that same Beeb album. But before we get there, we have to deal with what happened at the Roundhouse when this band of Viscontis, The Hype, performed. And this is February 22nd now. We're at the Roundhouse, which was literally a place where they used to turn trains around. Trains used to drive onto what was a large section of track, large enough to accommodate a train, mounted on an enormous wheel that could be turned around so the train could be Reverse back onto the track that it had originally come from and that's why it's called The Roundhouse so this had fallen into disuse and been turned into an open air venue sort of slightly open air slightly closed so part and part and became a very famous London venue for all kinds of things and I think Godspell originally debuted there Hair might have originally debuted there anyway a lot of shows came on there and in this particular case these four folk, Visconti, Ronson, Cambridge, and Bowie, dressed in outfits that were suggested superheroes, called the hype, played a show which also ended up as a BBC item. And again, this is still very early on, we're only a couple of weeks, and Visconti and Bowie had gone on working together but in the meantime Ronson went back to Hull and then came back again to do this show and again had to follow along songs that he didn't yet know and hadn't yet learned The hype never got off the ground as a band but of course Visconti and Ronson became part of the ongoing production and performance and then Mick became a mainstay of Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars, as a spider from Mars. And at some point, it's another story, David decided he wanted to change producers and not continue with Visconti. And that brings us to Hunky Dory. But in between, going forward with the Beeb, we did another show on the 25th of March, that was broadcast in April. And this is on a program called Sounds of the Seventies with Andy Ferris. And then beyond that, we started doing some work in June of 71. And on those, we probably see Dana Gillespie as part of that particular performance and other people that we were working with at the time. And Jeffrey McCormack, who became part of the Bowie entourage, was showing up on that particular concert. But Ronson was always a mainstay of those Bowie shows. So what else was happening in 1970? Well, it was a really, really busy year. We had our first We Gem, Lawrence and myself, had a company we'd started called Gem. We released our first recording, as a record label. And it was called Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes by a band called Edison Lighthouse that actually didn't really exist. We made it up, it was a session band. And it was written and produced by Tony McCauley and became a number one single in the UK and a hit worldwide. At the same time, I'd started working with Steve Lund Hardway Judkins, better known as Stevie Wonder who I met backstage after a concert in the UK in that year and began discussing with him how he might be extricated from his Motown contract. And that's another story. Also in that year, I made a marvelous album with Marianne Faithfull. And that's also another story. 1970 was the year we persuaded Mercury to let go of Bowie so we could create Bowie as a superstar. And we did.
0: Tony DeVries talking about Mick Ronson's early, very influential work with David Bowie, the BBC sessions they played and other artists Tony worked with in 1970. All the paperwork from the Main Man archive that Tony was discussing is part of an ever-growing collection of memorabilia, a lot of it never seen before, that we are adding to the Main Man website each week. A fantastic record of a very exciting period in rock history. And on the website, you can also check out the other episodes in the Main Man series. In the next episode, Tony talks about the huge potential that he saw in David when they first met in 1970 and why he decided they should work together. I'm Des Shaw, and this is a Zinc Media MM Tech production. Thanks for listening.